Hey, if you're, um, if you're new here, or if you're here this Sunday because your mother said on Mother's Day you're coming to church with me, it's okay. I want to honor that. I want to honor that. I actually understand the, the discomfort. I understand it might be a new space for you. I understand um, that you feel, thank you, Mike, um, that you might feel like this isn't my space. This isn't for me necessarily. This is just for somebody else. I mean, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that this space is for you. This is as much your space as it is my space. This is, uh, you are welcome here as much as anybody is welcome here. And I hope this conversation is something that you can enjoy and engage in and consider for yourself. And I apologize if I use a language that is confusing or you don't quite understand yet. That's okay. I want to honor that. Uh, what we're doing right now is we're, uh, we're in a teaching topic on, uh, of prayer. And we started that last week for the first time. And what I want to do is I want to catch up to speed with where we're at and kind of where we're going. The reason why we've started this conversation is because uh, we really believe that the best place for us to be as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who are being discipled by Jesus, is to, uh, to be in his presence and to find ourselves in his presence. See, last week we talked about how in, um, in Psalm 27, King David, the really complex King David who did a lot of wild stuff, a lot of great stuff, a lot of terrible stuff, uh, in the middle of his prayer here in Psalm 27, he says, I ask God for one thing and one thing only. And he says, what that is is to live with him in his house my whole life long, contemplate him in his beauty and study at his feet. And, and this kind of idea that, that basking in the presence of God and being in the presence of God really is like the, the, the pursuit of life. And, and it may not sound like a, a fun and exciting and, and juicy pursuit. You probably don't hear commercials or see commercials on TV or on YouTube uh, about, um, hey, look, this is your goal in life here, bask in the presence of the Lord. There's, there's a lot of things that are being sold constantly, and it's not to be in the presence of God. It's actually to be out of the presence of God and in the presence of some sort of like really beautiful place, silent vacation somewhere or in a brand new set of shoes, you know what I mean? And, uh, and we really believe that, that actually life and life to the full is found in the presence of, of God, and we, we spend time in the presence of God. And, and a lot of people here, like, you've had experience of that. You've had, you've had moments like that. And uh, in order to be in the presence of God, we actually have to um, put ourselves in a place where we're focused on, attentive towards, and oriented towards uh, the potentiality of God's presence. And what we said last week is that prayer is one of the primary ways that we do that. We commune and communicate with God through prayer. Now, what I want to make sure that we are talking about all the way through this talking conversation series, as long as we are talking about prayer, is this, is um, any attempt to pray is prayer. And I want to level the playing field here for you. Any attempt to pray is prayer. I talked last week about my kids' artwork and how we put it on the fridge, even though it's terrible. You don't even know what it is, right? But we put it on the fridge because my kid created something and it's beautiful and as a loving father, I receive it as it is. And I want to remind us of that picture again as we continue talking about prayer because prayer is the same way. Our loving father receives our prayer, receives our relationship, receives our communion with him as we are, just as we are. That's what he wants from us and he'll take us from there. And so I want to make sure you're starting today on the same playing field because we're all on that playing field. I think we can all agree, no matter if we've been following Jesus for a long time in our life, or this is like brand new, or we're not even there yet, that there's a lot of room to grow in prayer, and there's a lot of room to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Last week we talked about how there's all sorts of reasons why we should talk about prayer, 
And, uh, and if you want to know that, you can go online, you can find that message today. I want to let you in on a few of the reasons why I struggle with prayer. I want to, I want to, I want to again level the playing field and say, hey, um, there's reasons we struggle with prayer. And I want, I hope that you walk away from this morning not actually feeling like the problem is necessarily with you comparatively to everybody else. I hope that you walk away this morning actually knowing that this is something we all struggle with and there are social cultural factors that lead to us struggling with this and that we don't have to wear all the shame or guilt or weight of consequences for not being more active in prayer than we are. And that the other side of that coin is actually hope that you feel a little bit empowered today to take responsibility in prayer. At the end of the day, I want, I want you to know that this is where we're at as a church. The end goal for us is that you as an individual and then us collectively as a collection of individuals actually find ourselves in the presence of God, listen to God, hear from God, and follow in his ways. The end goal of this morning and the end goal of everything we do here is not that you agree with somebody who gets to have a microphone and talk. I hope I have something to offer that's worth agreeing with, but that's not the end goal. The end goal here is that, is that you actually find yourself in the presence of your God, of your Savior, of the God who loved you uniquely, who saved you specially, whose grace is as much for you as it is for everybody else. That's the end goal. And then I hope that as we discover that together and grow in that together, that cool things start to happen. So this morning, why we struggle to pray. I have a few theories. They come from my own experience, but they also come from my experience with other people. And I hope that these um, reveal some things to you. First reason is time. First reason that we struggle to pray is time. Now you might be here this morning and you've been coming for a while and you're thinking, are we going to talk about distraction and busyness all over again? Are we going to keep doing that because we've been talking about that a lot and we're kind of tired of talking about that and we're getting exhausted and anxious talking about how exhausted and anxious we are about talking about how busy our schedules are and how distracted we are. If you're here this morning and you're feeling that, I get that. It's crazy how long we've been talking about this and going back and forth, back and forth, this thing of the speed of love and going, hey man, Number one problem is we're too busy. Number one problem is we are too distracted. But if I asked you the question this week, hey, did you spend any time in prayer last week or what prevented you from doing so? I would venture to guess your first response, maybe your safest response, would be that you're busy. Oh, I was a little too busy this week. I was hoping to, but the week got away from me. I, I, I intended to, but things got in the way. Oh, I totally forgot about it. If we're honest with ourselves, one of the greatest barriers to our spiritual growth and our time with Jesus and our growing in prayer and actually praying itself is actually our time. It's our schedules and it's our busyness and that hasn't changed. As a reminder in that conversation, we live in a social cultural environment that is driven by an economy of production and efficiency, don't we? I don't know about you, but for me, when I was growing up, when people would talk about praying for something, I would actually kind of get annoyed with them. And there's a few of them that you actually may know. I'd be like, why are we going to waste our time doing that? What a waste of time. Let's actually just do the thing that we're praying God would do. We could just do it, right? We don't have to pray about it. What are we wasting time praying about it for? Let's just go and do it. Oh, God, I want you to help these people in this community. Shut up and go do it. That's what I thought when I was in my 20s. And I you know, still somewhat think that. There's this there's part of me that is really like, is, is, is driven by productivity and efficiency. Like, I just want to get things done. Right? I don't want to spend time with God praying about things. Let's just go at it, right? Is that, is that, am I the only one or is that, 
Is that like kind of part of this? Okay, good. All right, I'm not the only one. We feel that, don't we? Sometimes prayer felt a little bit like a waste of time or it felt like it was a distraction from what we could be possibly doing. What I've learned is that the power to do the things that I feel like we're supposed to do, well, it's supposed to come from a place of presence with God, come from a place of relationship. We can do, 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 but that's the thing that actually is wearing us out, is burning us out. I remember when I first started here at Southside uh, about a year ago, something really clear that God put on my heart to do. And, uh, and that was because I spent years doing ministry and being a pastor, but years not praying. Like there was times where I would pray, and there was moments of prayer, and there was spontaneous prayer, and there was prayer gatherings and prayer meetings, and there were seasons where I'd have a regular discipline of prayer, and then seasons where I didn't have a regular discipline of prayer. And I remember just everything being kind of chaotic and ad hoc and here and there and come and go in the seasons. And I just remember God saying to me, hey, if you're going to start something, new somewhere. You're going to be part of something new somewhere. And prayer is so obviously a part of whatever you're doing. You need to put that in your schedule. And so when we started here at Southside a year ago, we decided Wednesday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. we're going to pray. And we're going to do that every Wednesday morning. And we're not going to take a break from that. We decided that we're not going to send advertisements and promote it. We're not going to send texts to remind people because we're all adults in the room. I don't need that text. I don't need to be reminded. I just remember thinking, if we're going to do this, we're showing up every single week, and we're never not showing up. In the last year, every single Wednesday, we have prayed in this room from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. There's been a group of spiritual leaders in the community representing five, six, sometimes seven different churches. It's an open space. Anybody and everybody is welcome to be there. And I remember it not just um, being convicted of this, but actually being formed over the last year in setting aside a time an hour a week to pray. For me, I wouldn't pray for an hour a week unless it was in my calendar and it was scheduled time and space. Peter Gregg, he says this in prayer, in his book, How to Pray, he says this. uh, He says, to start, we must stop. To move forward, we must pause. This is the first step in a deeper prayer life. We gotta put down our wish list. We actually have to wait. And I hate this. I'll be honest with you, I hate this. Like, it goes against everything in my body, doesn't it? You've got a list of things in your head that you could be doing, that you feel like you should be doing. And to think about giving an hour in a week, let alone five minutes in a day, it's a challenge. Jesus says this, and well, this is about Jesus here in Luke 5. Luke 5, 15 to 16, it says this, but now even more reports were coming out about Jesus. There were great crowds that were gathering for people to hear him teach and heal their infirmities. And Jesus' response to that says, but he withdrew to desolate places to pray. There's something so obvious about the life of Jesus. And if the life of Jesus is the one that we follow and that we try to emulate, Jesus, when things got busier, pulled back more. Jesus, when things got more distracted, he actually spent more time away. When there were greater opportunities, Jesus' response, a lot of pastors and churches and business leaders, when you see an opportunity, you're like, gotta work 16 hours a day, we gotta change the world. Elon Musk, he doesn't sleep because he's gotta change. There's an opportunity, he could save the world, he could change the world. If you hear about the guy talk, he doesn't sleep four hours a day, probably in a hyperbaric chamber or something like that. I don't know how somebody does that. I don't know what drugs he takes, but he's got all the money to take whatever the best ones are. I have no idea how he does it, but he has the mindset that the answer is give everything you got because there's opportunity there, right? 
Isn't that how we feel? There's opportunity. We can't stop now. Make the money we can now because we don't know if we're going to have that. Invest into that thing now. Spend time on that now because we don't know if we're going to have that window of opportunity. In the Christian world, it's like, man, strike when the iron's hot. Work, work, work. Spend more time with people. Minister more to people because you never know how long they're going to be around. That's like our, that's, that's the human fleshly driving me. The response of Jesus is that Jesus would pull back to desolate places and pray when things got busier. In order to do the great things, he actually needed to take away the time to be with God, the Father. And so for you, your number one answer to why you don't pray or why you struggle with prayer is time. And this week, man, you've got to take a little bit of time to do a self-audit and check your calendar. Start small. We do that every week. I love it here. One of my favorite things about Southside is that the lights change in the middle of a service every week because we haven't put a case on the light switches in the back. And it's the best seeing who it is this week. It's Jeremy, intern Jeremy. Way to go, buddy. Oh, it's Anna Paula. Freaks us all out, takes us out of the moment. It's awesome. Um, I don't know. What was I even saying? Jeremy, what was I saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start small. About distractions. <laughs> yeah, we got to start small, don't we? We got to find a place. Got to find a place in our calendar. I don't know what it is for you. It's different for everyone because we all have such different calendars, but we got to find space to withdraw, set it in our calendar. And if to start, maybe you need to find a place to pray where people are already praying. Maybe it's an awkward thing. You can join us on Wednesday mornings. It is an open invite at all times, 7 a.m. every Wednesday here. There's other places where people pray. It's kind of like working out, right? You can have the desire to go to the gym, and you're laughing, right? You're like, oh, yeah, he's gonna, of course. He's gonna. I don't even have to say it, right? All the good intentions don't get you there, do they? The second thing that gets in the way for me, and I think probably for you too, is faith or lack thereof. I don't know what kind of background you're coming here with, but I imagine we have the full spectrum of people who have totally rejected God or just don't believe in anything at all in regards to spirituality, would claim to be an atheist, and then we have people who are like super Christians. I won't name them, but you might know them in the room, and they're like all in, super faith, everything. They, it's just easy for them, you know what I mean? And we got everybody in between. Uncertainty, doubt, and skepticism is a massive barrier to our prayer life. And I don't want to be um, cute about it. I don't want to be passive about it. I don't want to pretend like it's not a serious hurdle or a serious barrier to get through. It has been for me, and it still is at many times. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those guys who, when I was growing up, if I was in a room with anybody, I didn't want to say something about something unless I knew something about it so that I wouldn't look like a complete idiot. You know some people who say things about things and you know they don't know anything about it? I wasn't that guy. I hated that guy, right? I was like, just shut up, right? You don't know anything. I was the opposite. I was like, I wouldn't say anything unless I was sure. And the reason why, it was, it was deep insecurity and fear for me. It wasn't a good thing. I don't think that's positive. I think it was deep insecurity or fear of appearing to be naive, appearing to be ignorant about something. Like, I, I prided myself on knowing, and so I wouldn't say anything unless I for sure knew something on it and I find that with prayer too. I don't know about you, but 
Like, I don't want to be perceived as naive. I don't want to be perceived as simple-minded. I don't want to be perceived as, like, wishful thinking. We kind of sang that in the song this morning. I don't want people to think of me that way. That hurts my ego and my pride. It affects my self-identity, right? I'm afraid of that. And then I'm afraid to pray, particularly, because I'm afraid of what will happen to my faith if a prayer goes unanswered. I don't know about you, but like when I get all, like if I drum up all the, all the energy and the power and the focus to pray, and I'm like, I do it with all my heart and all the faith that I can muster up, and like I don't get, I don't get the answer I was looking for, I don't know about you, but that hurts. I think one of the most understated conversations in the church is actually the hurt that we're all carrying that is a result of unanswered prayer. We don't talk about it. What do we do instead? We say the right thing. We say, well, it's all in God's will. Right? Whatever his will, his will be done. It's okay. I'm, I prayed for that. I'm hopeful for that. But it's, it's all right. It's not a big deal if it happens or not. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just trusting God. And those are the right things. That's the right thing. But are you really feeling that? Because there's a lot of times I'm not. There's a lot of times where I'm like begging God for something and nothing's happening and it hurts. I don't know if you've prayed with a mom who has a wayward child and they're on their knees day after day praying for this kid and the prayer's going unanswered. You know that's God's desire for their kid to come back to God and their kid to kind of stabilize their life. You know that that's God's desire for them and this is a faith-filled person. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying nonstop and, and, then, and then months later it's the same report. Like, that hurts, doesn't it? I don't know if you've prayed for someone who's sick before and, like, really believe, like, you know what? God could really use their, like, a healing right now, somebody getting better here. This could be an amazing story, an amazing testimony. This could change a lot. It'll restore my faith. Everything will be, like, it'll be such an amazing story to everybody in the community is going to come to know Jesus if this person gets healed miraculously. And you pray and you pray and you pray. And you get teams of people and you get ministries of people and you do prayer nights in the, and the person like, well, they don't make it, right? That hurts. And we don't talk about it. We feel like we're not allowed to talk about that. But we're carrying that, aren't we? Like, does that have an impact on the next time? It might. Faith or a lack of faith or skepticism or doubt is a huge barrier to prayer. We've got to turn and face it. A.J. Swoboda, he wrote a book called um, After Faith, I think. Oh, After Doubt. It was, uh, it was one of the best books on deconstruction. I don't know, there's a lot of conversations about like deconstruction and faith and doubt. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of books that are just, they totally miss the mark on this conversation. In my opinion, like there's some of them that I read and I go, oh, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. Or that person hasn't spoken to a teenager in a decade. This guy, it felt like, you know what, actually, I think he's on something here. I think he's, he's in the conversation and aware. So it's, it's a really good book. If you have teenagers or young adults who are wrestling with their faith, or if you are one yourself, it's a great one. He says this. He says, here's the mystery. To struggle with one's faith is often the surest sign that we actually have one. And then he goes on to um, quote Oswald Chambers. He says, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking. If you're someone in this room right now and you actually think of yourself as someone who's pretty skeptical, who's, uh, who tries to be really rational about faith and rational about prayer and you're uncertain about it, what I want to affirm in you 
is that it may just be that you're thinking, and that's a good thing. I want to honor that. And see, the very attempt to wrestle is actually an act of worship. Israel, the name Israel actually means to wrestle with God. That's what the word means. And, 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 and the idea of it is that people who wrestle with God, not a people who have the right answers and who are living the perfect way, the people who aren't all that sure and who are wrestling and who are fighting the fight and, uh, and thinking about their faith and questioning things and learning new things and trying new things even though they don't have much left in the tank. That's the picture and I want to honor that. Henry Nouwen, he says this. He's, um, he was a Catholic writer, I think in our generation. He says, um, not our generation, but like this, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Getting answers is not the primary goal of the spiritual life, he says. Living in the presence of God is. And for me, for a long time, getting answers was the primary goal. Discipleship, the goal was to get answers. To get answers to prayer, to get answers to my questions, to get answers to... Um, you know, how things are supposed to work. And it's not that those are bad things. It's not that those are wrong things. But the primary goal of the spiritual life is actually being in the presence of God and living in the presence of God. And sometimes that comes with sure answers on some things, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it comes with, like, yeah, a prayer that has actually fulfilled and answered, and sometimes it's, uh, it's a mystery as to why it's not. I love this dialogue in Mark chapter 9. This is Jesus. There's a young man who's brought to Jesus because the disciples, they were sent out to go pray for people and heal them and all that stuff, and, and they couldn't do this. They, this. There was this young boy who was brought to them, and they failed at it. And so this man's father, this young boy's father, he comes to Jesus and says, basically, your disciples couldn't do it. And they're like, why couldn't we heal this guy? Why couldn't we take care of it? And then Jesus, he goes, I'll read in uh, verse 19 here. It's not up on the screen, but he says, He answered them, You unbelieving generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I endure you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. It's um, talking about how the boy was possessed by some sort of spirit. And then Jesus asked his, the, the boy's father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It's often thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. So it's this picture of this animating spirit that is really just eating this kid up from the inside. And, and the disciples' prayers, they couldn't fix it. They couldn't solve it. They couldn't cast out this, this demon that he couldn't be healed. And so the father says, but if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus goes, if you are able. You can picture if I'm able, right? He says, all things are possible for the one who believes. I don't think he was being sassy. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm being sassy, right? If you're able. The question is, if I'm God, then I can. If, if everything I've said is true, then I can. If, if I am the Messiah, then I can. If you believe in that, then I can. And then, uh, so that was Jesus. All things are possible for those who believe. And you're like, okay, so I need to believe more. And then I love this. The Father of the boy, he cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I just, I just think that's so human, right? I believe, I think, I help my unbelief. God, I don't know, I pray sometimes because it's all I have left, but I don't really know. Help my unbelief. I'm not quite sure, but I want to believe. I want to see you. I want to experience. For this week, maybe your tip if faith is a struggle for you and it's a barrier to prayer, maybe your tip this week is to listen to stories, watch stories, 
read stories of answered prayer. I don't know about you, but as skeptical as I sometimes can be, as much doubt dominates me, when I hear somebody tell a story, I can't verify whether it's true, but when they tell a good story, man, and I'm like, I don't know if that happened, that's stunning, right? And there are hundreds of stories in this room if we took the time to think about it and tell them, let alone all over the internet. I just think when I hear stories or I listen to them, I read them, it restores just a level of faith that's enough for me to go back to God, put my trust in him. I always suggest to be cautious of falsehood. I was talking to some guys um, at Maplehurst this week, and they, they want to read the book 90 Minutes in Heaven, and it's a book about this kid who apparently died and spent 90 minutes in heaven, and I got to be honest with you, I don't really trust the story. I don't, I'm not saying I was there. I'm not saying I know for sure, but, but when I hear about it and I read it, I'm like, really, did that happen? It's a healthy level of skepticism. There's a healthy level of uncertainty. But at the same time, to balance that out, there's a healthy level of mystery and hope. And hey, maybe. And if that happened, what does that mean? If you hear a story of someone who said, man, the doctor said this, and this was supposed to happen, and then we prayed, and then it, the complete opposite. Like, I don't know what you do with that. You should be cautious but you should also just sit in the mystery of that. And boy, will that inspire your faith. Spend some time just listening, watching stories. If you're a skeptical person, you can probably sniff. Sniff the garbage, can't you? But trust God in that. Just give it to him. I believe, help my unbelief. The third barrier to um, prayer is sin and shame. I am... Um, as afraid as I am to be wrong about something, I'm also afraid to be a hypocrite. I hate that feeling. I hate the feeling when I know I'm being a hypocrite. I hate the feeling when I say I know the thing and then I do the opposite. I hate that feeling. It feels so gross. It so, produces so much shame in me. I just cower away. I don't know how you are, but I tend to like hide, right? You pull back. Is your family the easiest people to pray with or the hardest people to pray with? That might be, yeah, right? I'll lead a prayer group. I'll pray with 100 people on a Sunday morning, but, but with my family at the dinner table, with my spouse, that's sometimes the hardest place to pray, isn't it? And that's because I think I've been exposed there. I think people have, those people have seen things that other people don't get to see. I'm just like, I know, they know, and they're looking at me like, really, Dad? Is that really you? Or are you just putting on a performance again? And no matter how sincere I am, I feel that, I wear that. I don't know if you're coming in today and, and, and you've, you grew up maybe with a Christian background, but it's been a long time since you've been following Jesus, and years and years and years and years of the weight of choices you've been making that you would say yourself, I wouldn't say it, you would say yourself aren't the best ones, and then you're carrying that shame and and you're wrestling with that. So to even start talking about prayer or being in the presence of God, you're like, gosh, i got a whole lot of stuff i got to start with. And I'm not saying you do because God actually just wants to meet you where you're at, but you might be feeling that. And I get that. I just want to say I get that. That's a massive barrier to prayer. Soren Kierkegaard, he says this. He, was a, he is a philosopher and um, theologian. He says... Um, it's perfectly true, as philosophers say, that life must be understood backwards, but they forget the other proposition, that it must be lived forward. Like, whatever it is, 
whatever you're feeling, whatever weight you carry, whatever shame you walk with that is actually preventing you from actually spending time with Jesus and being in prayer and praying with people and praying with your family and growing in prayer and attempting to pray, whatever that is, life has to be lived forward. I don't know about you, but I spend months, sometimes years, avoiding things because of shame. I live in the past. And the truth is we reflect on the past, but we can only live forward. We can only live in the future. And when it comes to prayer, here's the answer. The answer is you've got to start praying. Like that sin and that shame that you are carrying, I want to read a couple scriptures for you because I want us to believe that this is true together. Mark eleven twenty two to 25. It says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that they will, that this will happen, it'll be done for them. So Jesus says, he says, he says if you have enough faith, you'll move a mountain into the ocean. Right? Okay, it's probably, obviously, like a, an exaggeration in some sense, right? Because I've never seen somebody pray for a mountain and watch it in the moment move. And I've seen some really faithful people pray. However, he goes on, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Like that to me stuck out. There's a lot of things that I hold back on, I struggle with my faith in, I, I hold back in practicing prayer and being in prayer and praying with people because of forgiveness or unforgiveness received or given first john 1 9 it says this and this is hopefully for you this morning i just want you to i want you to be able to walk away with this if you struggle with the sin and the shame and you don't go into prayer you you want to believe but you wrestle with that a lot and it keeps you from being in the presence of god or in the presence of other people in the presence of god i want to read this for you it says this is the message that we've heard from him to declare to you god is light and in him there's no darkness at all if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is at the core of the gospel. When we go into prayer, prayer to Jesus, the story goes, and if Jesus is the perfect representation of the living God, then the truth is that in that moment of repentance, in that moment of going to Jesus and offering yourself and seeking him and his face, in faith, you're, you're, like, you're forgiven for that. Whatever that is. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean it works out. Doesn't mean like you're not going to wrestle with it a little bit more. But whatever that thing is that's holding you back, the truth of the gospel is that you are forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ through his blood. And even if it was yesterday that you did it, yeah, you may have to work some stuff out with your family or your friend or the person you said that thing to or did that thing with, but the reality is like God wants you to enter into his presence knowing that his grace is sufficient for that today. He wants you to pray with your family today, knowing that his grace is sufficient for you to do that. You're forgiven. And if it's unforgiveness on your end that you're holding back from, at least Jesus teaches us, just go forgive that person. Spend the time to do that. Take the time. 
so that you can actually be in the presence of God. The fourth thing that holds me back from prayer and maybe holds you back from prayer is uh, I wrote self-awareness, but what I meant is a fear of self-awareness, the avoidance of self-awareness. I want to unpack this because this may not be as obvious as some of the other ones. Like when light is shone into the darkness, it's terrifying sometimes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm afraid of not having anything to say in prayer. Have you ever found yourself there where you've mustered up the energy? It's kind of like going to the gym. You're like, you've gotten there. You paid for the membership. You got the new like Nike Metcon 8s. You're there. And then you're like, I don't have a plan here. And then you're just like, hey, where do I get started? And then you don't actually know. So you just like stand there awkwardly. It's like horrible, right? And, and I don't know about you, but I've had those moments in prayer, right? Where it's like, I got nothing. I don't, I don't even know. I, don't, I got nothing to say. I don't, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what God would say to me in this space. If I actually sat and listened, like it's, it's sometimes it's really scary. I don't want to be self-aware. It's really easy to ignore those feelings. It's really easy to like push them aside. I've been doing that for long enough. It's really easy to just suppress them and keep walking around and doing our thing, right? Like that's a lot easier. When we get into prayer, sometimes God reveals stuff to us that we don't want to see. It's there. We just don't want to see it. Because when we see it, it makes it real. Now it is real. It's always real. But for us, we do this a lot, don't we? And so a fear of self-awareness, a fear of actually seeing things for what they actually are, seeing ourselves for who we actually are, it might be revealed in silent reflection, and that might be the reason that we're avoiding prayer altogether. Pete Scazzaro, he says, the problem for many of us comes when we have a difficult feeling, such as anger or sadness. He says, the problem comes because unconsciously, we have a rule against feelings, certain feelings. He says, we feel defective because we ought not to be feeling the wrong things. We then lie to ourselves, sometimes convincing ourselves that we aren't feeling anything because we don't think we're supposed to feel it. We shut down our humanity. I don't know about you, but there's times where I'm like, I'm not, I'm not allowed to think that. I'm thinking it, but I'm not allowed to. I'm feeling it, but I'm not supposed to. That's wrong. I moralize that. And when I moralize that, right or wrong, oftentimes it actually keeps me from being in the presence of God, spending time in prayer. Because I don't want light shone in that place. Like, we'll stick over here with this. This is easy. It's performative. I can do this. I'm safe here. That? Uh-oh. That's my dark place. That's the place nobody sees and I don't want to see. That's the thing I'm running from. That's the emotion I don't want to deal with because it's a mountain. And I am not ready to climb that mountain. And it keeps us from prayer. And it's not to say you're any worse off than anybody else. You're a human. That's, that's your humanity. But it is a thing that keeps us from prayer. I was reading this this week, Revelation 16, 15. This stuck out to me. It was super interesting. It says, Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains closed so as to not go naked and shamefully exposed. And the idea here, I mean, this is true. This is like a truism of life, right? The picture is like of a, of a soldier who's supposed to be on watch, right? And it's like, you're better off staying awake in the night for the night watch. Just keeping your clothes on because you never know when something's going to come, right? It's not shameful to be awake. It's not shameful to turn your eyes to things. It's not shameful to actually shine a light on something. It's not shameful to be aware of what's going on, whether it's good or bad. Or you would classify it as good as, 
or bad. Whether it's right or wrong or you'd classify it, it's not a shameful to actually be awake. Where shame comes or where we get is, is where we get exposed. It's the, the, the worse off, we're worse off if we're sleeping and we don't have any clothes on, right? And so at least I was thinking about this in this context and I was thinking, man, we're a lot better off turning to the things that is reality that's going on in us than hiding from them. Because God wants to heal us in that. They exist. They're in you. They're there. They're your feelings. They're your thoughts. They're the things that you've done and they're the things that you do. And the truth is, if they're holding us back from God, then they're holding us back from life and life to the full. So awareness is actually always better for us even though it's work and it's painful. And the tip this week for that is to journal. If you've ever spent time journaling or writing things down, you look back at the past and you're like, what? Who was I? What was I thinking? What was that? Sometimes you look back and you go, whoa, that's crazy that that was happening. That's crazy I was feeling that. That was so real to me then. Sometimes you get a chance to see growth. You get to see awareness. You get to see, you get to see how you've kind of tracked with God. You get to see answers to certain prayers. You get to see healing. And that may actually inspire and encourage you back into the presence of God. And the last thing is ignorance. With a couple more minutes here, ignorance. Why don't we pray? We don't know how. Does anybody claim to be an expert at prayer in this room? It's okay if you do. It's like you're like, that's my thing. I'm good at that. If I was to ask you, like, hey, give me three tips on prayer, would you have something? You're like, oh, yeah, do this and that and this and that. Few you might. A lot of time in my life, I've avoided prayer because I actually don't even know how to pray. I don't know about you, but prayer sometimes has felt like a hurdle to get over that I don't, I don't actually even have the tools to get over. I need to do a lot more working out just to jump over that hurdle before I start. Right? I'm not running that hurdle race yet. I've got to do a bunch of training before I'm there. I just don't even know where to start. I don't want to feel ignorant. I don't want to be ignorant, and I literally don't know what to do. I love this in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. This is the disciples of Jesus. They were like this. They said, uh, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus knew how to pray, and then they finished. When he finished, one of the disciples, they came to him, and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So I was um, reading up on this a little bit, and what I learned is um, that, that all rabbis, or most rabbis, would have a prayer. Like, this was our prayer. And, right, and the disciples of Jesus were like, Jesus, what's our prayer? Like, we're... Who, what do we pray? Because John's disciples, they pray this. We're your disciples, so what do we pray? And I just love the posture of the disciples. Lord, teach me how to pray. I grew up in a tradition where it seemed like there was no how to pray. It was just say what's on your mind and ask for things, right? And then there was no system or structure to it. Maybe those were even like... I was skeptical of those because those came from maybe Catholic tradition or higher church traditions, right? Or, you know, they, they pray the, the rosary and that's, you know, sinful because it's ordered and structured in some way. Or, or written prayers aren't real prayers because they're not really from your heart. That's kinda, that was kind of a little bit of what I grew up with and, or at least assumed as I was growing up. And, and so I've had the skepticism of any system or structure of prayer or how-tos of prayer or, or, or modeled prayer or written prayer. And, uh, man, that's totally changed. What a What a... What a gift written prayer is to the local church. What a gift 
the prayers of those who have gone before us are to the local church. What a gift systems and structures and prayers are so that we don't have to just rely on our, our self-understanding or what tools we have in our tool belt, right? We can actually just be led in it by a structure or a system. And so for you, if you don't know how to pray, what I want to say to you and encourage you in is um, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. This first couple weeks is like, why do we need to talk about prayer? And then why don't we pray? And then what we're going to spend a lot of time doing, particularly here on Sundays and in our communities together, our midweek communities, is actually learning how to pray and, 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 and wrestling with it and trying new things and experiencing new things and practicing those things together, all for the purpose of being in the presence of God so that we can change, be changed and formed into his likeness. So what I wanted to do this morning, I want to end this morning with a prayer of examine that is a structure of prayer. And the reason why I want to do this is a very simple prayer. It's a very simple um, structure for prayer. And if you're here this week, if time's not an issue for you, if faith isn't an issue for you, if your sin and shame isn't an issue for you, if your fear of self-awareness isn't an issue for you, but if you're like, well, where do I start? What do I do? Maybe it's all of those things, but maybe you're like, I do want to jump into this. I just want to lead us in this, and I want to encourage you. You can take this, and you can do this this week. And if you just did this this week, I bet you God's going to reveal some stuff and show you some stuff and actually do some stuff in your heart, and I look forward to hearing about it. So as we wrap things up, I want you to close your eyes just with me for a minute and encourage you to do it, whether you come from a Christian background or not, whether you're super versed in Jesus stuff or not at all. Just close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything weird. You can just think about what I'm saying. And you can judge it in your mind if you want. You can examine it. Or you can try. It's up to you. Prayer of examine is a, is a style of prayer that um, was popularized by St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 6th century. And it's really simple. There's five movements to it. The five movements are thanksgiving, guidance, review, grace, and resolution. And so with your eyes closed, we're just going to do this together. The first part of uh, an examined prayer is thanksgiving. Lord, um, we recognize your presence in our room. Lord, I'm, I, I'm aware that the people don't even believe in you here. And, and I'm, I'm aware that there's sometimes I wrestle with my own faith, Lord. And I'm, what I'm saying in faith right now for our community is, um, if you are the living God that is revealed in scripture and in Jesus, then you are present with us. And we trust that in faith. So I want to recognize this morning in this room that you are present. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and your eyes are closed, I want you to, in your own words, in your own mind, in your own heart, recognize the presence of God with us this morning. I just want you to imagine like God is like sitting right next to you. He's with you. He's here in this space. Scripture says that the Lord is near. He's not far. And it says where two and three are gathered, he's present. In your presence, Lord, your presence is a presence of love. 
Lord, as I picture you sitting next to me, I just picture perfect love, a smiling father who delights in his child. What love looks like to you, just picture what love looks like to you. The God of the universe is looking at you in love. He's present. And he also just turned on the freezer. Keep your eyes closed. The first part is just to spend time in God's presence and give thanks to God for his loving presence because it is with you. If God is God, he's with us right now. Second part is to pray for guidance, asking God to um, reveal to you how he's acting in your life. You can do that a few different ways. You can look at the good that's happening. Maybe, maybe, maybe for this morning, think about yesterday. Think about, was there something good that happened yesterday? That was God's grace to you? could be as simple as you went on a date with your spouse for the first time in a while. Maybe you got good news. Maybe you talked to someone and you actually laughed, like a gut laugh. Maybe God was present with you in the morning, you just felt peace, like it was a nice day yesterday, maybe it was just peace that you felt for a moment. Maybe you had like a really small moment where you just delighted in your kids in the day or something like that. Or someone sent you a spontaneous message. Look at that as God's grace. And thank God for that. In your own heart, with your eyes closed, just say thank you, God. And then the other thing that you can think about is something that happened that you're not stoked about. You're actually upset about. Something happened yesterday that um, hurt you. Or that you would say you're angry about or you were angry about. Like what is that thing that you're picturing that, that annoyed you or angered you or frustrated you? You wouldn't say it's good. And then what's the emotion there? What's the emotion? Are you are you hurt? Are you disappointed? Like whatever that is, it's okay. It's welcome in the presence of God. Did you do anything in that moment, or did you um, think about anything in that moment? If you can call back, just yesterday, I know, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, so I get that, but if you can think back, if you're with me and you can think back and there is like a specific moment or you're wrestling with one or two of them to focus on, just focus in on one, the negative emotion, something that happened that was frustrating or annoying, and think about what you thought, like what was your thought process, what did you... What did you feel or did you think from that? And then I want you to be able to answer the question, like, did it draw you away from God or towards God? 
And there's not like there's a right answer. If you were angry about something, maybe anger sometimes can draw you towards God. Sometimes it can draw you away from God. So did whatever that circumstance, did it frustrate you enough? Did it anger you enough? Did it hurt? Did it draw you towards God? It's like a humble self-abandon or away from God? Like a self-reliance kind of way. Whatever that is, just let it be what it is. And then finally, I just want you to think about tomorrow or the rest of today. You're going to go from here. What's coming up today or tomorrow? I'm looking forward to brunch with my family to celebrate Mother's Day. She asked me to clean her car, so I'm going to clean her car. I'm looking forward to, um, to this evening. We do charcuterie, open a bottle of wine on Sabbath, and enjoy one another's presence. I'm looking forward to that. What are you looking forward to today or tomorrow? And then I want to ask, I just want you in your own heart, in your own mind, if you're with me, and if you're not, that's okay. Don't feel guilty or ashamed about it, that's okay. But if your eyes are closed and you're still here, I just want you to ask God in your own mind, in your own heart, to be present with you in that. Ask him to reveal himself to you there. Because you want to see him in it, in the good. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are coming to you, um, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God as a triune relationship that we are invited into. We are recognizing your presence here with us, Lord. We recognize the good that you offered us yesterday. We also recognize the pain that we experienced yesterday. And we offer it to you, Lord. And then what's coming up today or tomorrow, God, we want to be with you. We want to see you in that space. We want to enjoy your presence and your goodness in what's ahead of us. So be with us there. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.